Welcome back to Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, aka Mr. Automation. This is episode two, the history of hyper automation. During this episode, you will learn the history of the seven distinct hyper automation capabilities that we introduced in our last episode, What is Hyper Automation? In order of appearance, we have process mapping, process mining, task automation or RPA. Next, we have capture or intelligent OCR, then workflow or business process management, then content or enterprise content management, and last but not least, Decision Automation, also known as Business Rules Management. Stick around for the end, as we have a bonus section that looks farther back into the history of automation than you could ever imagine. Number one, Process Mapping. The origin story of Process Mapping goes back to the same year that Babe Ruth eclipsed the career home run record. That's right, in 1921, a mechanical engineer the father of process mapping, one of my heroes, and the father from Cheaper by the Dozen, yes, the movie, Frank Gilbreth and his wife, who's also a mechanical engineer, made a seminal presentation to the American Society of Mechanical Engineers called Process Charts, First Steps in Finding the One Best Way. This presentation has been found and made available to you in the show notes, and I encourage that you give this century-old document a read, as I was amazed at how many concepts still hold true today. For example, his method for making, examining, and improving a process. From here, in the early 20s, process mapping was introduced into industrial engineering curriculum until it made its crossover from pure play engineering over to the business side with Procter & Gamble, applying Frank's concepts to a program that they called the Deliberate Methods Change Program. Bots and Thoughts would love to have P&G's Director of Intelligent Automation on the show to do a then-to-now episode. How much fun would that be for our listeners? So how about that? Process mapping's origin came from the cheaper by the dozen guy. <laughs> okay, moving on. Number two, process mining. Process mining can be described as the missing link between process mapping and data science. The reason it's the missing link is because process mapping has equally lacked in data and big data as much as data science has lacked in process or procedural context, if you will. Process mining bridges this gap, and it all began just before the turn of the century. In 1999, a computer scientist and prolific Dutch researcher, Will Van Seralst, now known as the godfather of process mining, first coined this phrase in a research proposal, which essentially birthed this new field of process mining research. Soon after, the first practical algorithm for process discovery was introduced in the year 2000 called AlphaMiner. Fast forward a bit to 2009 when we saw a governing body form to overlook the norms and standards used in this field, which led to the 2011 publishing of another seminal document called, you guessed it, the Process Mining Manifesto. Linked in the show notes, I'd also encourage reading this brief, albeit dated document to check out their four guiding principles and 11 challenges. 
Most of these challenges have been addressed today by combining mining with mapping to create a most accurate as possible view of business processes and business architecture. Thank you, Will Vanceralst, for process mining. Next, task automation. Also known as robotic process automation or RPA, RPA is by far one of the most popular and talked about capabilities of hyperautomation today, and for good reason. But where did it come from? Let's travel back in time to Wall Street, New York City, to the year 1991. To make the most informed trades and financial models, these late 80s, early 90s bankers would subscribe to a finance data company like Thomson Reuters, for example, who would serve up hot and fresh finance data on virtually anything that could be bought and sold. Now, consuming this financial data from the banker's perspective was done on what might resemble a web browser. These bankers would use their eyeballs to pore over endless virtual data tables, find the data they need, and then manually key this data into their financial models to make a trade. Now, over time, these folks realized that they were going to the same web page and the data they needed was usually in the same place. Hmm. Our banker friends in 1991 must have thought to themselves, what if we wrote a few lines of code to go find the data I need and then consolidate it into one simple table? This was the seed of an idea that led to the first few lines of code that were ever written to screen scrape or data scrape on the UI level of that Reuters.com finance data webpage, thus saving the banker a significant amount of time spent on their morning work routine. The next large step was made a couple years later in 1993 when Microsoft Excel released Excel version 5. This version featured Visual Basic for Applications, or VBA. This macro technology went beyond screen scraping and automated a series of repeatable tasks that happened within the four walls of an Excel document based on predetermined triggers. So there you have it. RPA came from Wall Street in the late 80s, early 90s to save bankers an hour or so each morning on data prep. Does that sound familiar? How interesting is it that history not only repeats itself, but the intent of this technology still stays the same after over 30 years? Next, we have the history of capture technology. Capture has an interesting story going back almost 200 years and then arriving at an inflection point in 1957 that revolves around a three-month-old boy named Walden by combining technologies from the telegraph, and telephones, and photographs. Russell Kirsch and his team built the first image scanner called a drum scanner. This drum scanner took the first ever digital scan by digitizing a photograph of Kirsch's three-month-old son named Walden. This is a very important digitally scanned image because it kicked off the next century of capture innovation. From this scan came the first modern-day fax machine in the 60s, and even more improvement gave us the high-resolution flatbed scanner in the mid-1970s. Now, for our next automation capability, we have Business Process Management, or BPM, also known as workflow automation. In the 80s, companies were using scanners and fax machines like crazy. And if you couple that with an entrepreneur named Ted Smith, you get the origin of workflow. Office productivity spiked with the scan and fax machine. So what's next? 
How can we continue to digitize how work gets done? His idea was to combine various emerging technologies like the scanner for input, laser discs for storage, network for connectivity, and a bit of his own proprietary technology to create FileNet Distributed Operating System, or FDOS, which was released in 1985. FDOS is the first operating system that included a workflow scripting system. FDOS was improved upon and eventually renamed to Workflow Business System in the early 90s, and after a series of acquisitions, turned into a product called Visual Workflow, featuring the first workflow graphical user interface. Ted Smith and FileNet, which was later acquired by IBM, commercialized the idea of pushing work to users based on an originating business event, like scanning a paper application form. Our next concept, enterprise content management, solves another problem created from Capture. It answers the question, what do we do with all of these paperless documents? How do we store, manage, and secure them? Surprisingly, the origin of enterprise content management predates both the World Wide Web public internet and the original internet, which is considered to be founded in 1983. We are going all the way back to 1973 to Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, and the university's computer-backed education research lab, where a group of researchers started a project and then a company called Plato Notes. Plato Notes created a first-of-a-kind chat, email, phone book, and document database platform. You might be thinking that Plato Notes sounds familiar, and that's because in 1984, they renamed themselves to Lotus Notes. Now, each of the products within the Lotus Notes platform, of course, took on their own product development lifecycle, and the document database was that seed that turned into modern-day ECM. And as the usual innovation curve reveals, Lotus Notes' document database was the inspiration behind other famous document management systems that emerged soon after, like LaserFish and FileNet. Another interesting fact in the ECM world is that in 2017, the Association for Information and Image Management, which has been the authority on document management since its founding in 1943, tried to officially rename enterprise content management to intelligent information management. I quite like this name, but I don't think it's caught on yet. Speaking of naming conventions, do you know the difference between content management and enterprise content management? The difference lies in one word, workflow. Content management is just that, content management. It becomes enterprise content management when you add an awareness of the business process for which that piece of content was created. Pretty interesting, right? Last but certainly not least, on our historical tour of hyperautomation comes decision automation, commonly referred to as either decision automation or business rules management. This capability's historical roots are nestled deeply within a not so well-known but highly valuable document called the Business Rules Manifesto. If you're a hyperautomation professional and you haven't read the Business Rules Manifesto, then what are you waiting for? There's only 10 articles, it takes you two minutes, and we'll even put the link in the show notes for you. I highly encourage you give this document a read. The group that wrote this manifesto is called, you guessed it, the Business Rules Group. 
They were founded in the 1980s and since then have defined and refined the statements and supporting standards about the nature and structure of business rules. Almost 20 years of thought leadership and practical experience manifested itself in their business rules manifesto, Principles of Rule Independence. This manifesto has been translated into over a dozen languages and is still referenced as an authoritative source of guidance on modern-day business rules projects. The manifesto is an amazing document, but what about the software? Good question, and most commonly associated with the origin of business rules management software would be a company named iLog, founded in Paris, France in 1987. iLog stands for the French phrase intelligent logiciel, meaning intelligent software. So, the history of business rules management is rooted in a mystical manifesto and a 1987 era French software company named iLog, which in 2008 was acquired by IBM. Before we wrap things up on this episode, I promised you a bonus section. Let's take a moment and see how far back in history we can go. If it's all right with you, we'll take a fairly generous definition of automation on this one and look at the essence of automation. Is not the essence of automation a technology, be it digital or physical, that makes our life easier? For us today, that's any kind of digital technology that makes our office life easier. But what about 2,000 years ago, before office life? What kind of automation were they building? One example is people got sick and tired of carrying water from source to their city. To automate this, aqueducts were invented in the ancient Roman times, specifically 1312 BC. But I think we can go back even further than a couple thousand years ago. How about almost two million years ago to when our ancestors got sick and tired of being eaten by who knows what back then? So they created the first ever form of technology with the stone axe. Okay. Back to modern day now, it's the year 2022, and we just listened to the history of hyperautomation. We may have learned a thing or two, but what's the big picture here? For me, it's two things. Number one is that things don't change that much. Half of these technologies were designed to create a paperless office. That was 30, 40 years ago. To those of you listening and are in a position to actually still create a paperless office for yourself, for your coworkers, and your clients, what is stopping you? I'm genuinely curious. Takeaway number two is that things really do change a lot. <laughs> Learning about and talking you all through the history and humble beginnings of hyperautomation has also really made me appreciate how far we have come and how much easier it is, relatively speaking, to get from idea to actual business value again, with how far these capabilities have come. And that makes me really happy and optimistic about the current state and future of hyper-automation. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper-automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. Be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. Get your hands on more content like this by following us on LinkedIn and YouTube down in the show notes and say hello. We'd love to hear your thoughts, perhaps even on an upcoming episode. Stay tuned for more episodes of Bots and Thoughts, the hyperautomation podcast brought to you by Salient Process.